1: I can't go on. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 14th of January 2013. For newcomers, as always, I suggest you make good use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, and you'll find lots and lots of free audios for download, where I go through the system you're born into and how you're in a controlled society with a controlled mindset for everyone basically by the media and all the institutions that work with them, uh, the big societies that formed scientific organizations, basically, that formed to set up ways of of um, creating a type of society across the world, an indoctrinated society who would, would not know they're indoctrinated, who would not be able to think for themselves. They'd only parrot little bits and pieces, bits and bytes of what they've been told by experts, and that system's already here. And, of course, the world was to go into uh, a new kind of world order It's been planned for an awful, awful long time by the group that started it off, which was the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Dash Council on Foreign Relations. And they plan to take over the world, all of its resources, and distribute them fairly, mind you, but be privately owned by their own members. And, of course, uh, you'd all be slaves to this great global plantation, obviously, if you have no choice for doing anything yourself, you're a slave. And if you notice in this day and age you're living in a society where you're given getting, getting fewer and fewer choices to make for yourselves, and um, right down to even can you grow vegetables in a garden type thing or even hold some chickens you're being called It's called interdependence, which means no independence for the individual. So this is a brave new world we're going into, and as I say help yourself, to the website where we explain all of this, all the organizations involved, and there's thousands of them, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of uh, think tanks involved planning our lives for us way into the future, they've always been there, and also the big foundations that truly compose or comprise the, the parallel government which runs the whole world, so they put politicians in for you to vote for, but never mention the little details in your media because they own the media too. Remember, 2 you're the audience that bring me to you. You can help me keep going by buying the books and just sat cutting through TheMatrix.com. You can also donate and from the U.S. to Canada. You can still send personal checks and use international postal money orders from the post office. Or you can send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal. Remember, straight donations are really, really seriously welcome. And everything that happens on a large scale in society, we're always taught by the media that it just happens suddenly, because some guy goes nuts or crazy in some Middle Eastern country, and we have to go in there and blow them all up. And nothing's further from the truth, because if you go into the reports and the writings of, say, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, for instance, you'll find the long-term planning for a 100 years, beyond 100 years planning, for major things to happen across the world, so that Push the agenda forward this is to standardize the world under one banking system, under the Bank for International Settlements with the World Bank, all private banks that we all put money into by the way, the way your government does. And, um, and also the central banking system, privately owned again, which is under the umbrella, under the umbrella of the Bank for International Settlement. So money and economists and the bankers rule at the top of the tree. Everything comes down the pyramid to the bottom from the banks at the top. And between that, of course, near the pyramid top, you've got academia on board with them. Because you see, it's so important that every generation gets a complete indoctrination into the fake reality of things. And you can make children believe anything. Like Lord Bertrand Russell, who set a lot of this culture change in motion in his day, and he helped plan the present time that we're living through t- today, actually said we can train children that, that snow is black if we want to. So they, they, this is how they've done things. So climate change is a heavy indoctrination for all the children, because it's going to rule all of our lives. This nonsense and climate change rule all of our lives. And it's been targeted like a religion. With no data to back it up They can be proven Back with more after this break Hi folks I'm Alan Watt We're cutting through the matrix Talking about the big system we're born into And all the scams that we're trained to believe are true uh, so that we can be guided and, and herded and authorized and laud even into this new world order. And, of course, fear is the greatest thing of all. Fear is the, the oldest trick in the book as well, a threat from somewhere. Remember, the, the Club of Rome was given the task by the United Nations in the 1970s to find a way to bring all countries together with a common adversary. And they even came up with ideas from a threat from outer space, a very old idea. Even H.G. Wells talked about it, and go much further back than him, you find people who, even Ronald Reagan talked about it too. And um, and you'll find that um, the founder of the American educational and doctrinal system also talked about it a long, long time ago. This would bring humans together to fight the big, uh, the big invaders, of course. So the, the, the closest they could get to it for the Club of Rome, after going over all these scenarios, was... Uh, that's something that was out there, it was climate change, global warming and so on, they said that would fit the bill. Famine and drought, etc. And everyone would give up their rights up and say, save us. And then they'd rush through their whole world agenda. So it's a good enough excuse, as I say, and it's probably more believable to people than the UFOs coming in to, to do all for them. And... Um, but it's still far-fetched and farcical, and it's, and it's all fake science too. Unfortunately, it's been exposed many times as being fake science. And you've got to understand, that within the scientific communities, they get masses of grants thrown at them; they must churn out the desired results for their masters. And it's a social and a political agenda, you've got to remember that it's nothing to do with science at all. But um, one of the articles that came out was to do with David Bellamy. Now, David Bellamy was on television for years in Britain. And he's a, quite a character. He's, he's had good shows on botany and, and so on. But uh, his views, because he had his views that global warming wasn't happening, then they, they fired him, basically. They can't get a job again. And the BBC's all on board with this agenda because they're all part of this broad international affairs institution type deal for global government, which they call governance. But uh, he, he because a good article here in The Independent, what happens to him. And it says that for the last 30 years, it says the vegetables and so on have been doing good because um, they need CO2, you see. CO2 is essential for, for life on the planet. And CO2, by the way, always keeps going on. It's released from the sea. Uh, even when the sea starts to cool, it'll still get released for a long time. And uh, we're going through a big release from the sea of CO2 right now. And but that's not going to kill us by any means at all. It's just a trace gas. And it's essential to save for life and for all all plant life. But so I'll put this article up tonight at com at the end of the broadcast, and you can read it for yourselves. But he says he, he got a lot of hate mail too from all the fanatics that are already being brainwashed when he came out and says no, it's, global warming isn't happening. He says he says um, he says he first came out in 2004, in a teeth of public opinion and mounting scientific evidence. He said global warming was nothing but poppycock. He was deserted by fans, shunned by peers, and he says, ostracised by broadcasters and conservation groups that once thrived through his endorsement. He was sacked as president of the the, the Wildlife Trusts. He says, he appears not to be able to shake the habit of speaking as if the camera was still rolling during interviews, but he's unrepentant. He, he's clear that his stance on climate change ended his TV career. Some points out that an ill-fated dip into politics before this, standing against the, the then Prime Minister John Major and Huntington in, in the 97 election for the referendum party cannot have helped at all. Nevertheless, in a flare of rapid hand gestures, he says, he says here that, um, all the work, the work that dried up after that, I was due to start another series with the BBC, but that didn't go anywhere, and the other side, which is ITV, didn't want to know. I was shunned, they didn't want to hear the other side, but as he still believes he's right, he says, absolutely, it's not happening at all, but if you get the idea that people's children will, be, will die because of CO2, they fall for it, so that's this a trick that's being used, you see. This is perhaps buoyed by the forecasters at the Met Office, of course the fraudsters that call their, their faked emails and so on, and, or fake statistics from their emails. And um, someone even mailed me at the time, he says, and said I was the worst pedophile in the world, basically saying I was killing children by denying global warming. But in the last 30 years, crops have got greener and grow quicker. CO2 acts as a fertilizer, he tells me, and that's good news, but we don't, that we don't get. It says we can't resist dragging his namesake into things, saying David Attenborough was on our side denying climate change at first, but then he had a change of heart, and I think a cash had a bit to do with it too. Uh, So I'll put this article up tonight for those who want to follow it. But, I mean, people are getting fired from their jobs because the BBC's already admitted they're completely all on board. I've got another article here with all of the the meetings, the annual meetings that go on 10, 15, 20 a year, that the BBC are actually sending their staff to for global warming. And you've got to be a global warmest believer to, to attend and even to get in. So they're all on board with the agenda, because their job is to brainwash the people. That is that is the job of the BBC, apart from destroying the culture. So here you are, the global warming and so on. And this article here I have to laugh at, because uh, it's, it's quite funny. There's two I've got here, actually. But this, this is one from the Mail. It says, could a, a rogue nation hijack climate change, it says. Now, we've been getting sprayed steadily since 1998 by our own people. Uh, Canada, the States... And across Europe, uh, and uh, even in some far eastern countries are getting. It. Australia's getting it too. In fact, Murdoch's one of the Murdoch's company that's into aircraft. Having got a ten million dollar contract to start doing local spraying in one area, uh, so they all get in on the act. Big money involved. But uh, we've got the, the, the main aircraft here flying across Canada. These massive military aircraft just spewing the stuff out every single day. It's so commonplace that you know I look up and watch it and. I don't think much further because I'm so used to it now. It's been like that, since 1998. So here they are with this farce year. Could a rogue nation hijack climate change? And so a new report warns of the danger. Guess who it's from? The World Economic Forum's Global Risks report. I mean, the guys who are working with the guys are doing it. <laughs> so, again, they're going to get fear into everything and blame somebody else. So a rogue nation could use climate change as an excuse to carry potentially disastrous experiments with geoengineering, experts warn. Experts is that word again that Russell said would be ingrained into our minds. A, a country threatened by rising sea levels or even a wealthy individual could use the resources to tamper with the atmosphere in a bid to cool the planet with uncertain consequences. Well, probably their government's been in it too, and their Ministry of Defenses, because they're all in it. The nightmare possibility which could serve a disastrous chain reaction in the Earth's climate systems is one possible X factor, considered in a report on, on global risks by the World Economic Forum. And it says the global climate could in effect be hijacked by a rogue country or even a wealthy individual. Scientists worry about the climate change are exploring ways in which they could artificially manipulate the Earth's climate in an attempt to mitigate some of its worst effects. They're exploring ways, they've been doing it since 1998, like daily. Many different processes have been mooted for such geoengineering, but the most common suggestion is for solar radiation management, in which particles of sulfur could be injected into the stratosphere to block solar energy. Maybe we should write to them and tell them, well, we've been doing the test for years, and you're spraying sulfur, but you've also got barium in it, you've got aluminum oxide in it, you've got other metals in it as well and even polymers in it, so maybe we should tell them what they've really been doing if they don't want to look at their scientific charts, because they know damn well what's going on. In the past, volcanic eruptions have achieved the same effect, and scientists have claimed such solar management would take effect quickly and be cheap to implement. It will will be cheap, it'll kill a lot of off as well, mind you, which will kill two birds with one stone. Recent studies have suggested that a small fleet of aircraft could inject a million tonnes of sulphur compounds into the stratosphere, Enough to offset the global warming recorded to date, even though we don't have the global warming co- recorded to date since we've been cool for over 10 years now. It says, in theory, the technology would be tantamount to a planetary thermostat giving humans direct control over global temperature, the WEF reports. And the, the direct impact of dimming the sun would be felt within weeks to months. Well, it was actually since 1998, since they started doing it. It was quite, quite fast it went down. Now, I'll do this other article, too, on the same thing. It says that rogue nations could hijack the globalist patented geoengineering schemes. And it goes into the world's Economic Forum, Risks to the World, and so on. It's got the, it's the link to it. It's being warned that a rogue nation or an individual could hijack global climate change for nefarious purposes. And it gives several possible scenarios or X factors which could occur in the coming year, amongst which, on page 57, is a, a geoengineering uh, nightmare, according to the report, in which a country or small group of countries precipitates an international crisis by moving ahead with deployment or large-scale research in independent, uh, independently of the global community. The global climate could, in fact, be hijacked, and so on. And it says... In searching out this spectre of doom, the WEF carefully omits the fact that the concept of global climate change has already been hijacked in the 1960s by megalomaniac control freaks who admittedly used the concept of man-made climate change to force the world to adapt draconian population control measures and other globally regulated strangleholds. Instead, the WEF rather sketches a James Bond scenario in which some goldfinger with V-shaped eyebrows in, C Iran, sends out fleets of airplanes buzzing around to inject the atmosphere with chemicals. Because the funding landscape for this of scenario remains spotty, the WEF states that this leaves a gap for unregulated experimentation by rogue parties. For example, an, uh, an island state threatened with rising sea levels may decide they have nothing to lose, where are, they going? are we on the state going to get the money for that? Or a well funded uh, individual with good intentions may take matters into their own hands as we build gates type, you know. And there are signs that this is already starting to occur. Recent studies the report goes on to state suggest that a small fleet of aircraft could inject a million tons of sulfur into the stratosphere, enough to offset roughly half the global warming experienced to date for one in two billion dollars annually. Indeed, in 2010, David Keith, director of the Institute for Sustainable Energy, Environment and Economy, I love that it's in Sustainable Energy, Environment and Economy, and they keep adding titles to their names, eh? has proposed releasing an engineered nano-sized disks in the Earth's atmosphere to offset global warming for just $1 billion of your taxpayer money annually. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I am Alan Watford talking about geoengineering in this article here about uh, will we do it, won't we do it and what could happen if we did well they've been doing it for years and years and years, daily in fact, and the weather's been under control for an awful long time, what you what you will get are extreme climate changes, and they know this from it, even have it, has it in the article this is the sort of thing that can happen when they start geoengineering you get these extreme weather changes from snow to warm and back and forth and all kind of weird things happening, hurricanes, you name it it's all a byproduct of geoengineering, but they also again, go in in this report to nanotechnology where they can put nanoparticles into the air which will actually rise they claim and reflect the sun back out. Also what it does though so, because I've tried it already, it reflects the sun that it, it trapped underneath them and it bounces back and forth like light to the earth and, and back to the nanoparticles like a mirror basically and they really get warmed underneath it but it's not going to stop them but it's really nasty. I mean, you see, we're all children, according to them. You see, if they tell our children these kind of things, we'd, with our silly little minds, we, we, we'd say, no, we don't want that. It sounds nasty. And so therefore, they don't bother telling the children. They just go ahead and do it and pretend they're just looking into it. And you understand that's how it's done. But this article talks about uh, Holdren, of course. He's, in and in it. He's pushing it all the time. And he gives talks at, at uh, MIT seminars and so on. And then the Council on Foreign Relations wholeheartedly agrees with him. In the course of 2008, the CFR held several workshops dedicated to planetary-scale geoengineering. I've these links all up in the archive section of my website. But I'll put it up again tonight, party scale geoengineering. And Holdren's participation in in the Goldman Sachs conference was no incidental occurrence. In September of 2006, when Holdren was still director of the Woods Hole Research Centre, he teamed up with the representative of the Goldman Sachs Centre for Environmental Management. Goldman Sachs is into everything because they're basically the big boys at the top uh, as as we go into this totalitarian system. You know, they can't have competition, you see. The whole system is to eliminate all competition of any kind, folks. This partnership would supposedly enable the Woods Hole Research Center to broaden and deepen its efforts to understand the ways that tropical forests contribute to human well-being. Initiator of the partnership was, was the Eugenics Liaison Front of the Global Clinton Initiative, which donated generously to stimulate the partnership. As Holdren explained, it's particularly gratifying that we developed this project with Goldman Sachs as part of the Clinton Global Initiative, a far-sighted effort of the former president to simulate simulate new partnerships amongst businesses, research and public interest organizations to address the great challenges in global health, environment and economic development. What they mean is standardizing the world, depopulating as fast as they can by every means possible. And of course, geoengineering does that too For dying right crazy with bronchitis and so on that they can't get rid of. And uh, the pharmacists all know that. You ask them what's, what's the most common drug now or drugs that they've been selling for the last 12, 14 years. And it's solved because of the side effects of the stuff you're breathing in. It's quite quite obvious. Now, another article I put up tonight too was uh, you all know that uh, the government's got bioethical uh, organisations working with them panels of bioethicists. These are guys who are trained in eugenics. You understand? Most of them, are geneticists. And they really believe in inferior and superior types and all that kind of stuff. But they get to change their names because of of nasty things that have happened in the past, with genocides and so on. And they call themselves bioethics now as specialists. And so the Obama administration has a panel of them working with them. This is a public meeting of the present commission for the study of bioethical issues. It has been scheduled for Monday and Tuesday. It says to be held at the University of Miami Hospital Seminar Center, Florida, that's this month. The stated topic for discussion is ethical issues associated with the development of medical countermeasures for children. And it says, well, I guess it's about children's health and so on, right? Well, yes, what do you think? No, it's actually about testing anthrax vaccines on children within America. So, it is about the Obama administration seeking approval to conduct morally impermissible, wholly non-therapeutic medical experiments that would expose healthy children to risks of serious harm. Specifically, the Department of Health and Human Services is seeking to test the highly controversial, dangerous anthrax vaccine in children. It is for over a year that the Commission has been attempting to find a rationale for endorsing a proposed government policy that would violate fundamental medical ethics principles. Principles mandated under the Nuremberg Code after the atrocities committed under the German regime came to light. Limmer mentioned the ones that were done to the Soviets. Under U.S. law, research involving greater than minimal risk and no prospect of direct benefit individual subjects is prohibited in healthy children, it says. If not stopped, the government would override ethical and legal prohibitions by testing medical countermeasures on unprotected children who are legally incapable of giving informed consent. The government would subject healthy but socio-economically deprived American children, ones at the bottom, to unjustifiable risks of harm, to be exploited as human guinea pigs. The overarching question, not specified by the Commission or the Administration, is whose children are to be selected for experiments. If history is a guide underprivileged children, uh, best interests will sacrifice sacrificed to serve as a means to an end that will benefit the powerful commercial and government entities, it says. More than a decade has passed since the U.S. was attacked by terrorists and no biological weapon has ever been shown to pose a threat to Americans, neither military or personal or civilians. The only exception was the, the mailing of anthrax-laced envelopes in October 2001 by a United States military scientist from a U.S. military laboratory who is now dead. And that's true, it was from a U.S. the U.S. base at Maryland during it was. So... It says there's no evidence whatsoever of an anthrax threat to American children. But we're all guinea pigs now, you see. They're spraying all of us. They're injecting us with all kinds of diseases. Uh, it's depopulation time, folks. You can't tell the children. Back with more after this break.
0: You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the
1: truth. Hi, I'm back, and we're cutting through the matrix, talking about the, the big world with all its disinformation and its half-truths and, and blatant falsehoods, too. But uh, some things you will click together. If you've done enough studying, you, you understand what's happening. Back in the 50s or even in the 40s, Bertrand Russell talked, and he was a member, a member of the Macy Group and the Frankfurt School and other ones that were working to create a new American and Western culture. And, uh, they planned, and like the communists planned, and, and many of them actually were communists. Most of them, well, the whole lot of the, the different schools that joined them were all communistic groups that came into Britain and the US. But he said, he said eventually we'll train the people not to, not to think for themselves. Experts will do all their thinking for them until they can't do anything without the advice of an expert. Well, that's happened. That's all the papers have to say now is experts say. And most we'll listen, you see. So, again, everything is a political tool, and a socially political tool as well. Now, this article here is about uh, something that he mentioned way back then. He said, eventually we will make the children and the people hedonistic and narcissistic, he said, so that they will have no bonding to the outer greater society. And that's been awfully successful. They're all to themselves. This article says, how college students think that they're more special than ever. Study reveals rocketing a sense of entitlement on U.S. campuses. Books aside, if you ask a college freshman today who the greatest generation is, they might respond by pointing in a mirror. Young people's unprecedented level of self-infatuation was revealed in a new analysis of the American Freshman Survey, which has been asking students to rate themselves compared to their peers since 1966. Roughly 9 million young people have taken the survey over the last 47 years. And it says... Psychologist Jean Twenge and her colleagues compiled the data and found that over the last four decades, there's been a dramatic rise in the number of students who describe themselves as being above average in the areas of academic ability, drive to achieve, mathematical ability, and self-confidence. But in appraising the traits that are considered less individualistic, such as co-operativeness, understanding by others, and spirituality, the numbers either stayed at slightly decreased over the same, the same period. Researchers also found a disconnect between the students' opinions of themselves and actual ability. While students are, are much more likely to call themselves gifted in writing abilities, objective test scores actually show that their writing abilities are far less than those of the 1960s counterparts. Also, in the decline declines the amount of time spent studying, with little more than a third of students seeing the study for six or more hours a week, compared to almost half of all students claiming the same in the late 1980s. Though they may work less, the number that said they had a drive to succeed rose sharply. These young egotists can grow up to be depressed adults. A 2006 study found that students suffer from ambition inflation as their increased ambitions accompany increasingly unrealistic expectations. Since the 1960s and 70s, when these expectations started to grow, there's been an increase in anxiety and depression, Twenge said. There's going to be a lot more people who don't reach their goals. Twenge is the author of a separate study showing a 30% increase towards narcissism in students since 1979. This says, our culture used to encourage modesty and humility and not bragging about yourself. He told the BBC News, it was considered a bad thing to be seen as conceited or full of yourself. Just because someone has high self-esteem doesn't mean they're narcissistic. Positive self-assessments can not only be harmless, but completely true. However, one in four recent studies uh, students responded to a questionnaire called the Narcissistic Personality Inventory, with results pointing towards narcissistic self-assessments. It's it's defined as excessive love of self or vanity, self-admiration, or being self-centered. Twenge said that as a trait that's often negative and destructive and blames its boom on several trends including parenting styles, celebrity culture, social media and easy credit for allowing people to seem more successful than they really are. And also, too, it says what's really become prevalent over the last two decades is the idea that being highly self content and loving yourself, believing in yourself, is a key to success, Twenge said. Now, the interesting thing about that belief is it's widely held, and it's deeply held, and it's also untrue. Despite a variety worth of self-help books promoting the idea we can achieve anything we believe we can, there's very little evidence that raising self-esteem produces positive real-world outcomes. If there's any effect at all, it's quite small, said Roy Boymeister of Florida State University, who authored a 2003 paper on self-esteem esteem studies. He found that while successful people did have a higher self-esteem in many cases, it was unclear about what actually caused of the success or what caused it in the first place. Both self-esteem and success were often influenced by another factor. Coming from a good family might lead to both high self-esteem and personal success, he says self-control is much more powerful and well-supported as a cause of personal success. Despite my years of invested in research and self-esteem, I reluctantly advise people to forget about it. He compared it to a swimmer trying to learn a turn who needs to believe that learning a skill is possible, but who won't actually be aided by acquiring that skill by their belief. You need to believe that you can go out and do something, but that's not the same as thinking that you're great, Twenge said. Studies suggest weaker students actually perform worse if given encouragement at boosting their self-esteem. Any intervention or an intervention that encourages students to feel good about themselves regardless of work may remove the reason to work hard. But if you found yourself bored by a person always talking about how wonderful they are, it's lots of them about these days, eh? Remember that their future may not be bright. In the long term, what it tends to happen is that narcissistic people mess up their relationships at home and at work. And though narcissists may be charming at first, their selfish actions eventually damage relationships. It's not until middle age that we realize that their lives have had a number of failed relationships. So, it's going along the way that Bertrand Russell and the teams that he worked Frankfurt School, the Macy Group and so on, they all worked to bring in to the culture and it's... It's all here. It's working. Nothing happens by itself, you understand. I hope you realize that. That's what social studies were all about when they brought the communists in from the East and placed them all through universities in the West. They were, they were preaching communism by any other name. You know, a rose is a rose. So it's been very successful because, you see, the big boys at the banks uh, ran both sides. It's the greatest thing of all, running both sides. And also, too, everybody all know this, of course, but that Belgian. The Belgian government, um, already has euthanasia policy, but they, they, they can help people who are healthy enough to, to die if they don't want to live. It says, uh, twins who are 45 are helped to die of losing their sight. This is identical Belgian twin brothers born deaf, becoming blind and unable to bear, not being able to see each other. Had their wish to die granted in a case during the boundaries of legal euthanasia. It's amazing how euthanasia is just, just booming right now as they get right up to it. And of course that's all out of the, the top eugenicists and the bioethics committees that are promoting all this kind of stuff. How are you feeling today? I'm not too well. I don't feel really too great. Uh, why, don't kill, why don't you kill yourself? Well, okay. And because actually discussing that for just for mild depression or depression in general. Some folk get a bout of it once in their life, but they don't know that it'll pass and they'll get over it but uh, they're going to euthanise you and so on and make it see life is cheap now and we must get that through our heads that, that life is really cheap and also tonight too is called at the Big Ten Church of Globalization the White House advisor lauds the EU's strong accountability you see at a recent conference on global governance and the local accountability, described by the chairman as the Big Tent Church of Globalization, Obama's top economic security advisor, Michael F- F- Froman, lauded the European Union's strong degree of accountability. They won't even tell you how much they spend or lost. I, I love these Soviet systems. It's just amazing, uh, with their arrogance. Uh, they don't even discuss anything to the general public. This is as a preface to the subject at hand, globalization and local accountability, From and told the people present that contrary to popular belief the EU is exemplary in its processes of accountability towards its member states. And it says um, much has been written about the democracy deficit in Europe, Froman says. My understanding is that any week in Brussels, there are at least 200 meetings between representatives of the member states and members of the commission, reviewing every commission proposed action at every stage in its gravity. The only thing is they don't ask any of the public in the We don't get told about it. You have all these special groups that are all that, that basically put themselves up there and became your special groups. Simply uh, because you didn't say they don't speak for us. Now they're special groups. It's says, when you add to the ministerial meetings of each semester and to the now quite frequent head of state council meetings, increasingly frequent head of state council meetings, it's hard to say that the process of coming up with decisions in the European Union, not to mention the role of the European Parliament, doesn't reflect a strong degree of accountability. So it's wonderful. I love these these, these characters. They're just so full of themselves at the top as they lie their faces off to the public and probably make themselves believe they're, that they're doing everything properly. You know, this. A big paycheck can make you believe anything, you know. And with the power that goes with it, too. It goes to their heads, I think. Also, too, a three little articles on Israel. Israel recruits army of bloggers to combat anti-Zionist websites. So it says, Israelis who speak a second language to represent Israel on problematic websites in new absorption ministry program. Quite a strange name, absorption ministry program. I'll put that up tonight, too. And also the, the big news from Britain, Mail and the Guardian and other papers, is uh, that um, the, the, it's probably very probable that the next uh, government in Israel will be the ultra ultra uh, right wingers. So it says right wingers on the rise in Israel. It's amazing that too, because all the pro-Israelis generally are putting the countries they live in outside of Israel uh, into this communal global system and destroying nations. It says, Israeli elections are due January 22nd, and polls suggest a government ranked as one of the most right-wing in Israel's history is set to be replaced by one even further to the right. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's Likud, now merged with the party headed by his ultra-nationalist former minister, Avigdor Lieberman, is losing ground to the ultra-ultra-nationalist Jewish Home Party. Even the more modest projections suggest Jewish Home will emerge as the third largest party, one that Netanyahu will find very hard to exclude from his next coalition. And that kind of outfit is Jewish Home. It says, take a look at its leader, Naftali Bennett, born of American parents and a champion of the West Bank settlers. He demands immediate annexation of Israel of, of 60% of the West Bank. In a 2010 TV debates, he dismissed a, dismissed a Palestinian member of the Knesset in these terms: "When you were still climbing trees, we had a Jewish state here. Uh, we were here long before you." He says. Even if Bennett is kept out of the coalition, Netanyahu will still head a more rightist government. And Likud's few remaining moderates were purged in re- recent internal, internal elections replaced by hardliners such as Moshe Feiglin. Here's what he told a reporter from The New Yorker. You can't teach a monkey to speak and you can't teach an Arab to be democratic. You're dealing with a culture of thieves and robbers. The Arab destroys everything he touches. Ash it's an ancient, ancient belief that with the Talmud. And they're told to kill all Amalekites, as they call them, and so on. But I'll put that up tonight, too. And the outcome of this might be this, too. And it says, um, Israel may, if it gets worse and worse in Israel, uh, to keep their own people happy, because you'll be saying, oh, you can't do that to the settlers or to to the Palestinians. Europe will ditch Israel sooner than the U.S., an Israeli analyst says. And Dr. Paul Rivlin, the Senior Research Fellow of Middle Eastern and African Studies at Tel Aviv University, says that, he says. So it says, Dr. Paul Rivlin, the Research Fellow of Middle Eastern and African Studies at Tel Aviv, made the remarks during a recent interview with the internet-based video streaming network HuffPost, run by news website, the Huffington Post. The West will simply not allow this to happen, said Rivlin, referring to Israel's illegal settlement activities in the Palestinian territories. Sooner or later there will be a break, and it's quite possible that this break will come with Europe instead of the United States. He says, I suspect that the European patience for Israel will break sooner than the American one, whether we like it or not, he added. Commenting on Israel's future, Rivlin says, Israel is occupying the West Bank and is expanding settlements all over the West Bank, particularly around Jerusalem. This will lead to either the creation of a single state, Palestine, in which there is eventually a majority of non-Jews, or some Israelis would like to think or say, on the very far right, the expulsion of the Palestinians Palestinians altogether. Either way, it's the, it would be the end of Israel, he says. So things are really moving there. but it's, it's long. You've heard this stuff your whole life, I'm sure. But yeah, they're pushing to be more uh, nationalistic, ultra-nationalistic, as the pro-Zionists in other countries are trying to get governments to integrate and get rid of their nationalism altogether multiculturalism etc quite the policy and also tonight too I want to put up uh, to do with uh, mentioned last uh, week about uh, polio or polio vaccines and other things all the information you need to know on it tonight I'll put up a um, a, a list of, of uh, uh, tests and so on uh, and studies on polio vaccine there's a lot of them there from all the top uh, medical journals in the world to show you that they know what it does to the people with the cancer vaccines and everything else that that's affected the general populations. You don't make these mistakes folks. You don't mistakenly put cancer vaccines and especially when you knew they were there before you, you gave out the first dose and even Salk himself, from an old recording, it was done with um, an old eight or sixteen millimeter recording. He, he talks about this. He knew, was he, was he said, but the benefit would be, be far greater, uh, greater than what that, than a whole generation comes down with cancers. Hmm? You really have to wonder. I mean, is, is this is all planned this way, or what? You know, and, and people are going fer- infertile very quickly in all the countries that got all these things too. If it, 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 it kills. It takes too many birds with one stone. These polio, And not just polio vaccines, all the other vaccinations too. And remember too, they're not asking for volunteers as the big boys at the top of all your governments, one after the other. Talk about depopulation rapidly. How do you think they're going to do it? Well, obviously they're not going to tell you. That's how they do it. And they've been doing it for a long time. Now Greece bans cash again. You know, you know that it banned it once before. Well, they're going to do the same thing. It says uh, Greek finance ministry plans to put an end to cash payments. Purchases worth more than 500 euro will be not be possible with cash money anymore. Finance Minister Yannis stournaris told the Parliament Thursday that he examines that the expansion of electronic transactions with credit cards and other electronic payments methods for a wide range of transactions for amounts much smaller than those required by current regulations, which is currently at €3,000. All trans- transactions worth, now worth more than €500 Euro will have to be made only through money transfer through banks or credit debit cards and cheques. So... They're getting forced into it because IMF is running them and the Central Bank, European Bank, is running them. This is the age of technocracy. They just place the experts in charge, a you as they say. And what an old agenda. And you were living through it a 100 years later. It's quite something, isn't it? And they're under the gun because uh, they've, got, they've got so impressed that the officials of the European Union and the International Monetary Fund, it says, so they are going to bring all these policies in and more taxes, it says they're voting uh, today on a new tax that broadens the tax base to raise another 2.5 billion euros and also introduces new annual income thresholds for salaried taxpayers. and does away with tax breaks for the self-employed now as well. It says entrepreneurs have emerged as the latest bandits in Greece's ongoing efforts to bleed the wretched Greek carcass of its last available drop of revenue. Government benefits have been slashed, taxes raised and Greeks are being pursued with maniacal determination for taxes paid or not. It's all about satisfying the bureaucrats and the IMF. And every country is going to get its share of it, including Canada and the States, when it's their time as well. Back with more after this. We're back cutting through the matrix, and there's Frank hanging on from North Carolina. Are you there, Frank? Yes. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, I originally
1: called in to ask you uh, about art. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've never heard anyone ask this question. Uh, You know how art sort of changed back? I'm not sure when it was, but, you know, I became aware of it. In comedy uh you know 1960s and 70s comedies where uh, a character in a you know a sitcom would you know uh, typically an older more ignorant type person would make strange faces when they saw you know a- these new forms of like abstract art and whatnot and mm-hmm. i was
0: just wondering uh was there any agenda based influence involved in the creation of that new form of art or or was that even i i, I don't know much about art yeah it
1: was it was actually um the, the i, I big... like all things Yeah, the the big social uh, socialist organisations, communists, actually wanted to bring a form of nihilism. It's a nihil, a culture destroyed by being nihilistic. That's where you lose your self-confidence as a country. Uh, You lose a sense of beauty, um, a a whole tack on everything that was beauty, in fact, and, and bring you down that way. And they brought in, well, the Guggenheim Foundation were the the forerunners of all that. They they really pushed it out there. FDR's wife got involved and started buying up these streaks and splashes that they call art and to make it popular, knowing that the the general population follow, that they're they're betters, as they call them. And they brought it in for that particular reason. It was to destroy, help uh, one destroy beauty, as we know beauty. Because everything, remember what the Frankfurt School said, they'd have to destroy all the culture of the West, the family unit too, uh, even sexual morals, moralities and so on, and take down to even necrophilia, and not until even then would they stop. And that also meant all beauty as well, to do with with art. And anything that was natural, that the cultural thought was natural or beautiful, had to be utterly destroyed. So it's been awfully successful. But the Guggenheims were the ones to start picking up these these people who squealed on and splashed paint on things and say this was fantastic, and et etc etc. Now we'll go to Milan from New York, if he's still there. Hello. Hello, Alan, Alan. How
0: are you tonight?
1: Not too bad at all, yeah.
0: Uh, I just wanna, I'm, I'm listening, so, and I wanna ask you something. You, you touched something about selfishness and hedonism, and, uh, I don't know if it's that domestication, because I see a lot of people, even when I met them on the street, they know pretty much what's going on. And, yes. uh, but, when they have to confront, in a, in a situation, in particular, any situation, action to protect themselves, they, 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 they don't do that. No. Uh, so, uh something happened to me this last Friday, I took exam in New York City here for a taxi and yellow cab, and uh, it was about 100 of us. And uh, we experienced from these, uh, these uh, uh, people from TLC commission, uh, some officers, I don't know, it was test, and big, extreme abuse, like, like you can imagine in a prison. Mm-hmm. And after one hour, I couldn't even take it anymore, so I uh, I fight with him. Mm-hmm. But then I realized in that in that moment, uh, he couldn't believe. He even uh, he he just uh, excluded me. He said you can go out. Uh, but uh, later he came out. He said he couldn't believe that I was like that aggressive. But I saw a lot of these other people. I, I, I just cannot imagine how can men, hundreds of men, how they can just stand and not do anything in the in, in this kind of uh, circumstances. Yes.
1: Well, what has been is a process of domestication, and that and again that experts are right and and those in authority are in charge and, and you're down there at the bottom. You simply do what you're told. It's, it's domestication of the individual. That was one of the big targets as well of the Frankfurt School and others and it's happened. That's why they obey authority like they do. But you're quite right. We're supposed to stand up for ourselves individually when anything wrong is going on and good for you. Thanks for calling. From Hamish, myself from Ontario, Canada. It's night to me, your God or your God's school with you.